You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Let's uh, jump into uh, Destiny 2 right away. We, we're recording now anyway, so we're just going to stream right into it. Uh, oh, well, shit. I actually bounce into game um, day before yesterday, and I played a little no. bit. I had not been in for a long goddamn time, uh, which is apparent by my level 25. And I'm looking around going, hmm, okay, apparently I have some catching up to do. And oh, shit, yeah. There's still a lot of stuff that I'm not going to be able to do because I don't have the um, Forsaken. Season pass. Uh, nor the season pass. Oh. So I'm waiting okay. till, again, the split, and hopefully there's a sale, and then I'll, I'll pick it up. But uh, but no, I I it it had been long enough since I'd been in that I was having fun with it. Oh, good. What did you? What's the first thing that struck you when you jumped back in? In terms of changes. In terms of changes, gameplay, just any of those things. Gameplay was pretty much on par. I didn't notice anything different. Uh, I'm sure there are differences, but I really didn't notice them. In terms of. Other stuff, I mean, the the main thing that I noticed right away, of course, was the UI changes with the um, tabbing between the different screens for whether it's your inventory or your character or different things like that. Uh, yeah. There was more there and the more the lore stuff in there as well and stuff like that and enhanced guild stuff. So or clan, I should say. So that was that was neat. Um, but in terms of everything else, be, I, again, I didn't do a ton I basically went in, I spoke to the drifter for a little bit, and then I headed to IO and just kind of did some some shit there. One of the changes that they made apparently at some point was you need some of the crafting elements now to uh, enhance your weapons. That that didn't yeah. that wasn't like that before. I was not happy to see that one bit. And so then it was like, oh fuck. So then I figure, okay, well, I'll start hitting the planets and do some gathering. Yeah, that was an interesting attempt. Um but also to like, because there are now secrets on, I think most planets have at least one or two new secrets. Um, for instance, uh, and this is only for, uh, this may be for anybody who owns Forsaken, but it could be just a season pass only, but I think it's all Forsaken owners. Uh, you get the exotic quest to find and remake Thorn, um, which is playing heavily into the lore. Um and it's uh, the lore angle that they're doing right now is, um, well, I'll just jump right in and tell you, you're getting letters from a Praxic warlock who is basically warning you to stay away from Drifter, that Drifter is not who he says he is. We cannot trust Drifter. He is an ontological threat to humanity. You know, like basically his ideas are so dangerous that it could spell the end for all not just humanity, but probably all life on Earth. Not that there's much life left, really. Okay. Uh, you might have explained this before in a prior episode, and if so, well, I kind of tuned out some of the D2 stuff lately. Uh, sure. What? Who or what exactly is the Drifter? Okay. That is literally what this quest line is kind of about. Like, who is Drifter? Um, there is some really solid short fiction pieces up on the Bungie website uh, that led up to uh, Joker's Wild, this season pass event, that basically says that uh, Drifter um, it introduces the warlock Arnor and uh, some of the weird stuff that is about Drifter. But what we know about Drifter is as follows. One, he is not a guardian. He is called a Risen. And that means that he predates even Lord Saladin, the uh, Iron Banner guy. Right. So he is old and there's some connection possibly between Ada one, the EXO that sells you the fancy guns and drifter, um, whether this is confirmed or not, I am unsure, but that, uh, there were risen who killed Ada's family. Um, and it's heavily implied that drifter was one of those people. 
Um, so he is a person gifted with the light in the early days of the collapse and is now well over 300 years old. And uh, it says in the lore that he is, quote, experiencing and showing signs of de uh, cognitive degenerate uh, thought process common to risen uh, pre-Guardian risen uh, individuals. In other words, he's got like old a super space alt magic Alzheimer's uh, or some sort of dementia like going on. I thought um, that the first ones to get the the light were the, the the Iron Banner guys. They were the first ones to say we're not just they were the first ones to really organize. There were risen who became warlords, there were risen who became protectors but the iron banner said like no we are going to defend humanity defend the city defend the routes that lead to the city look for refugees look for other communities and bring them all under the safety of the traveler um but there's a period of the dark ages where it was a free-for-all up until like lord Fellwinter and saladin and afrit basically were like uh, this is over we're we're getting the guard. We're getting these guys under control because otherwise, how do we recover from the collapse? But that's that's where Drifter comes from. And then he leaves the solar system. Does he's been extrasolar? It's very clear because he talks in Gambit about like how he's been to other systems and how he's brought us quote the worst things from the system and we treat them like. Uh, he also weirdly, and this is what really uh, made me not choose Drifter, but um, he's been talking a lot about being hungry in games. Like literally, you he says it one thing in the Gambit match that he thinks you can cook and eat the um, gel in the middle of a Vex, and that's just that one. Uh, players of Destiny One know that's a bad idea. You don't drink the Vex milk, and two. That's gross. Um, but he's been talking more and more about being hungry and a guy's got to eat. And it just feels like. Um, Come on, uh, just a little bit in his coffee wouldn't be such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> just a little light in the coffee, just a little soul here and there. But it feels there's a weirdly there's a Constantine comic where a guy is like, it's a horror comic where he's always hungry and he ends up dying because he's been possessed by a demon of gluttony. Um, so that's the lore and Drifter. So Drifter comes back. Uh, it turns out he was, um, part of a cult called the shadows of Yore, And these were guardians who wanted to use the darkness to fight the darkness. And he, uh, was a dredgen, which is from some ancient earth language. That means abyss. Dredgen Yore is like Darth Vader. Like Darth is a title. Dredgen is a title. Dredgen Yor was the first guardian to go, the, like, first guardian to go full on into embracing the darkness. And some people thought that he was doing it to fight the darkness, and some people thought he was just corrupted. And so that's the distinction that Dredgen has. Uh, this is all, Dred, the Dredgen stuff begins in Destiny 1 with Dr Dwindler's Ridge and the last word, it's really convoluted, but I'll summarize it this way. Bad, uh, a, a hero of the light gets corrupted by the dark, starts killing other good guys until another guy uh, becomes the first real gunslinger and kills him. However, that bad guy had a cult and Drifter was one of those cult members. And he sends you to make a gun called Malfeasance, which is great for killing Taken, but he's building this gun to keep him safe from the guardian who made the golden gun, uh, which is how they refer to this character. He, the golden gun, he made the golden gun, you know, the guardian with the golden gun, blah, blah, blah. Also the last word. Uh, it's great because uh, the, also the rumor is that when you find the husk of the thorn that you're supposed to make, it, it's also heavily implied that the guardian with the golden gun tried to destroy it. So, Long, uh, another twist on the story. It also appears that Drifter is running this Gambit game that he got approval from the Vanguard to do to 
call out to get the cult out there. And on one hand, it looks like he was getting the cult out there so that they would be killed. But the Praxic warlocks are worried about him doing that. And the Praxic warlocks are an investigative order. They're, they're got a, they got a judge dread kind of feel going on, um, which makes them not necessarily the best people to side up with. But I'm not turning my back on Zavala. There's okay. one other thing. Hold on. Before you get to that, oh, now, is it generally accepted by the Guardians in the lore that there is something fishy about him or do they just accept him? It is accepted. It, well, it is. The Vanguard says he hasn't done anything wrong and we need all the help we can get. So we're going to let him in. Okay. The Praxic Warlocks say he is fishy. He is bad. And then they they literally it last week they said you have to choose you either side with the vanguard or you sign with drifter, um, and it's mostly a lore thing, but it is setting up the thing that um, all the articles online seem to miss is that this is setting up future events and future content, so this choice will be remembered, and so maybe right now all it is is a lore entry and some shaders, but it's a choice that is being marked. So once you side with the Vanguard or once you side with Drifter, you're, you've made your allegiance known and it's going to allegedly, and I have faith in Bungie to pull it off right now. It'll come back to do something else with it. Right. Um, there is one. So here's, here's the reason why I did not side up with Drifter because at first I thought he was just misunderstood or he was, you know, a little weird, but, Maybe he's got a point, and like if you RP it out, a hunter might be willing to bend the rules. One of the pieces of lore that you get in game and that is on the Bungie website strongly suggest the Praxic Warlocks are basically saying they think that Drifter sold the bullet that killed Cade's gun. That implies that Drifter is part and parcel responsible for the murder of Cade Six. Well, not really. He well, might have procured well, the bullet somewhere else. He might have procured, but he gave it to the hangman and the, the one that, uh, you know, the sniper guy. That brought, that got in my feelings, Roger. That, that hit me. <laughs> and uh, I'm not signed with that guy. Like, there's no way. No, no way. Like, you played a role in, in Cade's death. I ain't, I ain't going to fuck with you. No way. Hmm. Uh, gameplay wise, uh, what you have to do is there's a new gambit mode, which is one round. Uh, go in, take your role, uh, which can be you kill guys, you collect moats, you protect your team, or you invade the other side. Those are the roles. Uh, you go in there, kill guys, collect moats, bank moats, kill the primeval as fast as possible. You got one shot to do it. That's the new Gambit mode, which is only for season pass holders. That will get you gear to go into um, the thing called the Reckoning, which is like another horde mode that is oh, like, it's insane. It's wonderful. Like I'm get, I'm a little, I am tired of horde modes, but they keep doing it in interesting and different ways. So like, you know, with Escalation Protocol, there's, kill all the guys, go to different places. The type of guys, the type of bads change up all the time. Um, in the reckoning, uh, it's all taken, but it's connected to another faction of destiny lore. And it's in like some other plane of existence. It's trippy. So they do it well and they're building in the universe. So yeah, it's a horde mode, but they're, doing cool stuff with it. So, you know, it's like a, a, a well-executed trope. So I'm going to be okay with that. It's well-executed. Right. Um, but it's a cycle of Gambit Prime and Reckoning that you do to build up your armor set and find lore. Like, there's a whole other lore book right now um, that you find in the Reckoning. Um, and you refight certain bads in the Reckoning. So it's kind of neat that way. Right. Uh, it's like, uh, for me, it's worth like this right now, this content totally worth it because I like both modes, but if you don't care for horde mode type content, it's not for you. Right. 
Was that so it? Yeah, that's Dusty too. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the abridged version, like, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Now, I again, I uh, I'm looking forward to doing some of the uh, the story stuff. I really am now. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that I've got a decent price on it. But yeah, no, I am really looking forward to it. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, sticking with another Destiny type title, we have Destiny Connect TikTok Travelers. I've, I spotted this just the other day, and I thought actually it, it's an interesting premise. the The look of the game it's from NIS America. The look of the game is fairly cutesy to some degree, which isn't always a bad thing. I mean, I adored World of Final Fantasy, but uh, this is a little different from that. But I like the premise. It's it's something that I've thought often about using in a story element, but then it's hard to kind of do it in such a way that doesn't come off as cheesy. They they did it in actually. Uh, did you watch uh, Umbrella Academy yet on uh, Netflix? Yes. So when I started watching it, they freeze time. That was the same kind of thing. So that's what we have in this game here, where time is frozen on. Uh, I think it's a New Year's Eve or some celebration of sorts. So you have the firecrackers and stuff, fireworks that have been that are frozen in the in the sky and stuff. And you need to kind of figure out what's going on. And you have assistance of various, you know, cute, weird characters to help you out, including what appears to be a time traveling robot. But yeah, nice. I thought it looks interesting and it could be a, a fun game to, to play on the Switch for a while. It's going to be coming out for PS4 and Switch. So I, th- I think it looks interesting and when it comes out, I'll probably pick it up and talk about it more. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now and it's got an art style that I could get behind. And uh, I do like the idea of, you know, you're about to celebrate the new millennium and time stops and time monsters come to attack you, I think. That's kind of what I wanted to happen when we had the millennium shift. Because um, <laughs> then I would have to pay my student loans back. So it always comes back to that. that. Happen. Yeah, no, it, it looks does. interesting. I, I That idea of playing with time and whatnot is something that can be, um, if done in a even just slightly different way, can be interesting. Like what we saw in Life is Strange, where she could rewind time and things like that. So the idea of playing with time, and in this case here, because it's, it's kind of frozen as well, and you're just kind of wandering around. is very cool, and because it's a cute type game, then you don't have to worry about any at any point the developers throwing any, any kind of sleazy or stupid shit either. It's just going to be this fun game to 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 play. Uh, also, sticking with kind of cute stuff, in both a good and a bad way. I'm I'm really kind of struggling with this, but Nintendo announced. Labo is going to be coming out with a VR unit, VR units, not just the one. And this is like, this is something that people have talked about for a while now because of the Switch's success. And people were talking about, well, are they going to, are they going to join that VR push as well that we're seeing from so many others right now? And for the longest time, it was like, no, no, they're definitely not. And then we see this. The problem that I have with this is that it is a Labo one. And and I know that you could say, yeah, but the Google Cardboard shit people were fine with that. Which, yeah, but it's a, like, bottom rung kind of VR, so it doesn't really give you the best experience. And I've found, even with the PSVR, which has a lot of pros, but it also does have some cons... If you're introducing someone to VR and it looks shady or really not that good, the frame rates aren't that good, or the enclosure is not comfortable or doesn't focus properly or different things like that, it'll make you nauseous and it's simply not fun. I I have found that VR more so than many other new technologies and gaming is a hard sell and you better make sure you get it right the first time somebody tries it. And especially because of how persnickety the PSVR is in terms of the focus. Like, I mean, it's there's no kind of focus knob that you can turn to put everything into focus. You You adjust the unit based on the how much your eyes are separated and it kind of helps there and then you put it at the of specific spot on your forehead but even once you have it on you're kind of shifting it to get that perfect spot and quite literally a centimeter 
can make a huge difference, not even that much, in terms of whether it's in focus or not. And, of course, that's going to have a huge impact in whether you get seasick while you're playing the stupid games. Um, so, while the Labo stuff is fantastic to get, uh, especially young kids, interested in building things and using the Switch in very creative ways that isn't just playing a video game, but just, again, something active or, or again, creative. I dig that. I love that. And this will do some of that as well, for sure. And then you're not expecting it to be that spectacular a thing. But I think it's a missed opportunity in so doing. I think that had they really gone all out and developed a, a housing of some sort, even just fucking plastic, you know, something that's half decent and that you can have a little bit more control in terms of the focus, in terms of the... Uh, the depth of field and, and all kinds of other things. I, I think that that would have probably served them better. I'm I'm worried that this will not reflect that well in terms of sales. And because of that, maybe they won't push through on a more serious platform. Like, I don't know how I even feel about the Labo stuff. Like uh, in concept, it's great, I, I don't know. I, I The problem that I have with it is not the um, that it's cardboard. It's not that it's um, simple. Uh, because I like that because it, again, I can appreciate that I'm not the target audience. And that's yeah, fine. Okay. So if you have a, a, a young child or in my case, grandkids, then like I, I would like to pick them up. It's just they're fairly expensive the problem with building something out of cardboard is that it's not going to last especially yeah, with kids so if you're paying quite a bit for these little things you're paying quite a bit just for the experience of building it and playing with it for a little while and then it's going to be broken and then you're done with it kind of thing so yeah. unfortunately i wish that for the vr stuff they had gone with something a little bit more a little bit tougher and something that would appeal not just to kids because i mean again when you see the the picture and the videos that they put out and you you have the one that looks like a, a, a an elephant trunk kind of thing and there's there's weird little fun stuff and again that's awesome but I think it would have served them better had they gone with a something a little bit more sophisticated so that both children and adults can can appreciate it. Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking about. Like, it, it's not sturdy enough uh, for people related to me. Uh, my nephew, I bought him a um, one of those uh, Kiwi boxes. It's a Steam kind of toy you build your own stuff and he's already broken two of the things he's also five so i'm not gonna yeah, that's what happens yeah right that's what happens it's car this is so if we had a switch we bought the switch thing for him like first of all shane would be like 70 dollars for cardboard no yeah she would <laughs> right so and and i don't blame her so i i, I would i uh, i would withhold judgment on it but it's also like one not for me so yeah see the thing is, yeah, is it could be for me is is the yeah. thing it very very much could be and 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 i would like it to be in fact the the idea of playing a zelda eventually in vr where you have got some kind of hand uh things where you can slide in your your joy cons to be your shield and your sword and then your fucking link or the female link and going around yeah. and wreaking havoc. That sounds amazing. And I think that again, the switch is strong enough that it could do something like that. So with their first party games, they could really go nuts and have some fun with it. And, and, and unfortunately, again, I keep going back to the same thing. I don't think this will demonstrate to them the, enough that this is a, a viable technology that they really could do that kind of stuff with. And I think that's, that's disappointing because it, it would be so much goddamn fun to do that. Yeah. I can see it being a lot of fun. Um, especially when my nephew and my niece get just a little bit. Older. 
Um, but I'm also like, I have a distinct feeling that my nephew is taking after my brother and myself and we're not going to get him super expensive stuff for a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. You wanted to talk about Minecraft and, and I'm very curious where this is going. So I, uh, I've been talking about my nephew on the show for a while. Uh, he, watches and grew up with this YouTube channel is growing up with a YouTube channel called Izzy's toy time. They're playing a lot of Minecraft. My nephew is obsessed with Minecraft. Um, and he was telling me about it one day and I'm like, you know, I can buy Minecraft and we can play it at my house. And he was, he literally just went, what? And so he's come over and has played Minecraft and I have a lot of friends who have played it. I am late to the Minecraft bandwagon. Um, You know, I know the difference between solo and survival and there's like all these packs, but I want, like, I was hoping, and I hope Joe and Vince will hear this and we'll, you know, have this conversation. We can have it in in discord or have it later, but I want to know, like, have you ever used Minecraft as a gateway to storytelling or as like story games or story packs? Because it seems like, you know, they keep adding all of these. There's just so many things to look through when it comes to the Minecraft add-on universe. But my nephew is just driven to, like, like uh, trying to do what they do on these YouTube channels um, to the point where, like, he doesn't understand because the, the people are typing in console commands and are playing the Java version, not the Xbox version. Um, but I basically... I'm setting all this up for like, I have an opportunity here to really get this child hooked on story games and being a nerd for life, him and his sister. So have you, you've got uh, kids and grandkids. Like, did you ever, your grandkids are probably too young for Minecraft, but is this something that you've seen Roger? Or is this something that um, you've navigated like storytelling in Minecraft? No. No, I honestly, I didn't play that much Minecraft. I played very, very little of it when it first came out, and then that was it. I know that Tristan played it for a while as well. He enjoyed it, but he was a little bit older even when he did it. I mean, my, my, my youngest is turning 22 next week, so it's okay. he, he wasn't a child. I, I know that I will be able to play this with my grandkids eventually. However... This is not a slam on on Minecraft in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But I think that... I think that there are other such games that are either out now or coming out that will provide a better outlet for such creative endeavors, at least in so much as how I feel. As an example, Dreams is going to be coming out in not too long for the PlayStation 4 from Media Molecule. Now, we played... Uh, again, my youngest and I, we played through Little Big Planet one and two, and we did make some some levels and whatnot. Now, that allowed you to do storytelling using a platform uh, 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 mechanic, whereas Dreams is going to allow you to do pretty much anything you want. And because of how sophisticated the the I, I, it's a game, but you know it's also a, an app. The, because of how sophisticated Dreams is, I've watched people building levels, building stories, and it's fairly simple. It, it, not simple, but easy. It's easy to do. It's it's a complicated uh, s- software, but it's it's very user friendly. And the same could be said for Little Big Planet, which is why I'm fairly confident in what they're going to do with dreams and that's just one example so i look at that or say paper mario and the second one's going to be coming out for the switch shortly uh different things like that i i think that those for me allow for a better better way of crafting a story within a game environment but that's not yeah. taken away from what I've seen people do with Minecraft, which some people have done spectacular things. I just, I didn't even, as much as I adore Telltale, and I own the Minecraft Telltale uh, game, I didn't play through it. I, I'm just not a huge Minecraft person myself. Yeah, I, 
I don't know what happened because I it, I didn't think I was I cared, but then Patrick was like, you know, talking about how he wanted to do this and do that. So I'm like, well, I'll get all the stuff for him to do it. And I started playing. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna make my own little house. I'm gonna make fight my own creepers and I'm gonna mine my own diamonds. Um, yeah, you know, and I, see, and that's the thing though. Yeah. That's that's um, it's very very dependent on who you're playing with. And if you are doing yeah. things with your kids, or in this case, your your um, nieces and nephews, then it doesn't matter what you're doing because you're doing it with them and you're having fun. I've done that right. time. I mean, the reason why I play Magic the Gathering still is because my eldest son got me into it. It wasn't because I went out and bought the cards. It's he wanted to play, so I went, well, well, we'll play together because that's what you do as a parent. You do whatever the child wants to do. And so I got into that. I played the Pokemon card game with the girls, and I played uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh card game with the youngest when he was very young. So, so no, I can appreciate what you're saying. It, and, and in that regard, again, if you're sitting down, especially if you're doing it with them so that you can impart some of your experience to help them build something but at the same time be open to the uh the possibilities and it will happen of getting blown away by the child's creativity because they have that in abundance where we where we don't kind of thing so right. it's a, any type of game like that where you are building with a child is always going to be fun yeah it's it is it is fun to watch him watch him play and he gets a little bit frustrated when he because when they play on, the, on he's his experience comes from youtube and so when they die they get they come back and they get all their stuff and then he died and like all of the stuff was gone <laughs> <laughs> he was like he was confused about what had happened so but yeah it's it's a question like you know like chan and i aren't going to have kids patrick and rosie are the two closest i'm going to have unless um like one of the you know well until shannon's brother starts having kids uh so this for me is like my way of you know getting these children into my hobbies and my interests and i think i mean dreams looks amazing i remember when we talked about it on the show oh, yeah. it was about a year or two ago i would totally dig for that to happen um, I'm also terrified the day that Pat, that Izzy's toy time starts doing dreams content because then my brother will be pressured into buying a PS4 and he doesn't want to buy a PS4. So why not? Yeah. Uh, he has a, uh, he, uh, long story short, Tony is working, uh, full time as a school council, like the head of discipline in school counseling at a fancy private school in the South side. And then he's got a private practice. Um, and he's got like, uh, one day a week where he gets to play Pokemon right. Go, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Tony was not as big of a gamer as I was, although he did buy a PS1, um, uh, and he Way was the guy back. that got us back into console gaming. So, Yeah. I If you want some advice, I think that what, um, what will serve you best is, is really being open in terms of what games you would like to play with the child and, and not so much have it be, you want to influence them as gamers as they grow up, but rather that you want to expose them to all of these things so that they can then become the gamer that they want to be. But having had all of the experiences, having had the opportunity to have those experiences and to change and grow because of that. That's that's what will serve you best because that way you're not trying to build a mini you. You're trying to to educate and, and help these children grow and, and experience so much more than they otherwise would. Like when the kids come over, we play a variety of different things. And they're not always things that I want to play either. And they'll point at different things and we'll try different things. And and it's fun because even when it's not good, because you're playing together and you're problem solving and things like that, what you are saying, how you're behaving, the, the oh, that's not good. They shouldn't have done that. It would be better if it was this or whatever kind of thing. Or you talk about it. And, and there's so much fulfillment out of that it's 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 
it's a blast. Like when my 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 granddaughter is now in school, so my daughter will pop over often with my grandson. And he likes playing video games. So he will come and stand beside me and point to the, the monitor and say, play games, Grandpa. And then he'll sit oh. on my lap and we'll either boot up the PS4 or the uh, the Xboxes here at my desk or the Switch or the uh, the PC. And we play a bunch of different stuff. And, and it's fun because you do have that different perspective from this very young mind that sees things differently. And in the same same regard you get to kind of discuss the game like we do here kind of thing but with a far younger audience and you're kind of mentoring you're kind of helping and it's kind of cool like i like when he comes over and my granddaughter's the same way and they want to play the same game again or you know if we played a bunch of them but they know which one they want to play and there's reasons why and so that's really really freaking cool because you can then see that building over time and that's what i'm looking forward to like i'm looking forward to the time when he's he or my granddaughter are old enough that we can play first person shooters against each other like i did with all of the kids you know or or things like that those are are fun moments that you don't forget that's yeah i'm super looking forward to that and i you know i think the next thing we're gonna do is is See, we're, we're going to take some more, let, let, let them play with more Minecraft and let them pick some stuff out and let Rosie pick stuff out and then head that way. Like, I'm seriously considering, like, when his, when Patrick's mom lets, lets us do it, like, just buying into, because he still loves Minecraft and he loves Pokemon. He loves Pokemon Go. But if I could hook him up with a, uh, with a private Minecraft server that he can log into with whatever tools they have at their house. It would be super fun for them. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You you should definitely look into the uh, the switch to do some stuff with them because it, it it is a system that it was practically made for. I mean, pick up a switch and um, Mario Kart. Like I, oh. that's one of his favorites now. My 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 grandson, he adores that freaking game, and we have so much fun with it together. Like these are things that fun. yeah. And then there's all kinds of other things, especially with the, um, uh, like, for all of the shit <laughs> with the Nintendo online service, and it is shit, they do give you some access to some older games as well. And some of those older games work so well for children because, again, that imagination allows them to build that world so that it doesn't look like pixels. And, like, we've played the Zelda, the old Zelda games, again, he and I, and had a lot of fun with them. So yeah, there's different things, especially with the Switch, that really is geared for a lot of fun with with kids. And with that, yeah. we're actually going to call it a wrap for the night. Then we're going to have a feature from Joe. He was supposed to make it tonight, but couldn't because of work. But he is foaming at the mouth to talk about Devil May Cry 5. He's had a lot of fun with it. I would bet $5. I will bet you five real dollars that in his feature, he brings up Adam Driver. <laughs> I will bet you I, very real money. <laughs> I will. I, I'm in. Uh, I am in. I will uh, bet you. I'll right. the, like, and it's it, probably, he's probably going to do it, but like, I, do you know, know why? I was watching oh. his, uh, his live stream when he started playing the game and I swear he mentioned it like three or four times that one of the characters <laughs> looks like Adam Driver. And then I'm looking on Twitter the next day and he brings it up again. So it's like, oh, he's going to bring it up. I know he's going to bring it up. <laughs> All right. So anyways, that's going to wrap it up for the night. Thanks for joining us, folks. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and on Twitter as well. Individually, Joe, you can find him at Loaders at J. Vincent Simone and Marty is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will see you guys next week. In the year 2001, Sony PlayStation 2 was one of the hottest consoles ever to be released. And it made very popular the hack and slash game genre, specifically God of War and some other ones, of course, but also Devil May Cry. What set this game apart from many of the others, except for maybe God of War, is that it had a cohesive story. It 
had a style. It had a direction. It knew what it wanted to be and just embraced it. And what it wanted to be was ridiculous and over the top. It was a half demon saving humanity from devils. It just ran with it. And it did so in such a way that captured all of the sort of grim, dark feel that was, you know, that resident evil and resident evil two at the time. And all of like this sort of serious storytelling that it wanted to be, but then it said, fuck it. And didn't take itself too seriously. One of my favorite games of all time. It wasn't, it wasn't long after that, that we got devil may cry two. And then really quickly on that devil may cry three telling the story of Dante's rise and fall. Well, I guess more rise and more rise after that. And then in 2008, we got Devil May Cry 4, which did something completely different. You didn't play as Dante anymore. The the titular character who, well, was irreverent in all of the right ways, had that noir feel to him, had the wisecracks to him, and said you played as a newcomer, a character named Nero. Many people didn't like it. Some people did. But it was basically Dante Light. In 2013, there was a essential reboot, or as they've liked to now put it into the timeline, Dante before he became Dante. They try to work it in there. But since then, it's been a very long time since we've had a new hack and slash game. And even games like God of War have evolved and changed from pure hack and slash to something more. Well, enter Devil May Cry 5, just released from Capcom. And it is holding true to its roots. Its humor is irreverent, but in a way that doesn't disappear to time. It's not the same level of raunchiness that it was before. It's smart about it. It's subtle about it. It captures that nostalgic feel without becoming antiquated like games like Duke Nukem Forever, who tried to do that and failed miserably. Devil May Cry's gameplay has evolved over the years as well which being from simple hack and slash to hack and slash with multiple styles to adding different weapons and powering them up in different combinations to different playable characters. And Devil May Cry 5 is no exception to that at all. In fact, when the game starts, you don't even play as Dante. You play as Nero again, who's grown up now. He's not as whiny as he used to be. He's sort of come into his own. But his gameplay is reminiscent of Devil May Cry. He's got his sword, the Red Queen. And it does all sorts of weird, ridiculous things. He's got his gun, a double-shot, essentially, pistol that does very similar to what Ebony and Ivory from Dante used to do back in the day. And he's got his devil arm. Well, I guess I shouldn't say he has it, as when the game opens up, it rips off of him. Or it gets ripped off of him. But don't worry, because it gets replaced by Nico, a gunsmith genius tinkerer who creates a whole bunch of devil arms for him of the mechanical nature. And it adds an extra layer to his gameplay that wasn't there in 4. You can set different loadouts for him that all have different effects, and it's spectacular. It adds a depth of play that he might not have had otherwise. Now, Devil May Cry, since the second game, has introduced multiple playable characters. And this has fluctuated over the years, of whether it was Lady... Uh, or random person number seven from Devil May Cry 3, who I don't even remember her name because her story wasn't really that great, or in Nero. But in here, there's a new character that turns all the combat in the game on its head. The character's name is V. And what V does, well, V doesn't really get his hands dirty exactly. He has two demonic protectors. And those demonic protectors, a hawk devil and a panther devil... Well, they happen to be bosses from the original Devil May Cry game. So as V, you run around and you don't actually do direct combat. You direct these devils to do fighting for you, with the hawk taking care of range damage and the panther taking care of up close. But they're not impervious. They can actually get hit enough that not necessarily that they die, but they sort of cocoon themselves and have to regenerate. Now, you're dependent on these creatures for all of your attacks and getting out of sticky situations. And with the Hawk one, that's how you dodge. So you have to very carefully maneuver them around the battlefield. And it adds a sort of sweet complexity 
to the game. And at first I thought I was going to hate the way the play, the character played. Indirect combat really wasn't my thing. I didn't really want to feel like I was throwing demon Pokemon at things. But after a little bit of playtime, I started to get the hang of him. And actually with him is the first time I got my first triple S rank, which blew my mind. After a little more time with it, I, I started to learn that it was very fun and rewarding to figure out how to maneuver in the battlefield with this brand new character. Now, you can play as Dante, and that is something that you unlock later. And then as you go through different missions, things, well, branches path, or paths branch off, I should say. Each chapter you can play as one of the three characters once you have all of them unlocked. And it tells a different part of the story. Now, here's another thing where Devil May Cry adds a new feature to the game. It's called the guest starring or featuring feature. As you play the game, what winds up happening is it's connected to the internet, right? We live in a world where we're always connected. And it doesn't have true multiplayer. It doesn't have multiplayer even in the way that Dark Souls does. But let's say I choose to play through a level as Nero. Let's say the other option was V. The game will match me with somebody who has selected V to play that level. And so throughout that level, as you look over, you can see the other player participating. It actually streams their game into yours, which is a really, really cool touch. And if there's nobody to play that character or nobody online at that time, uh, it will star the Devil May Cry team where pre-recorded or actual gameplay from people that worked on the game will then play next to you. But it's such a nice little touch. And it was, it actually made me stop when I, when I saw the little guest starring thing pop up and I'm like, what, what does that even mean? And I look over and I see the other character doing its thing. And it was just such a cool little touch to make the game feel a little more dynamic. Now I did mention that the story of the game is something that Devil May Cry used to set itself apart from other hack and slash games. It actually had a story. And it wasn't just go save the princess. That story has carried through six games, a manga, an anime, and they're all canonical. Like the story is continued. And this is no exception. This just keeps adding to the story, the depth and the complexity of it. And it's nothing much more than save the world from devils. You come to expect that. But it does it in such a way that the way the cinematics play out, the way the story unfolds, it does it so well. And in Devil May Cry 5, they take a very interesting approach to this. As you play through the missions, they're not necessarily in chronological order. The game starts way ahead of where the next chapter is. And then you go back in time to sort of remember what happened. And then you bounce over the time the timeline. And it sounds like it would be confusing, but it's actually not. I have found this to be a fantastic return to the game series. And while a lot of people may have not liked the 2013 pseudo-reboot, pseudo-prequel to everything, this is something that I think everybody who's been a fan of Devil May Cry can get behind. The animations are gorgeous. The scenes are gorgeous. The combat is well done. The controls are fantastic. The humor is amazing. It's got the same noir feel, and it's got that sort of environmental polish that you would expect from Capcom games. It fits in the series immaculately and does capture those nostalgia beats without feeling antiquated, which is so important to something like this. That's such a long running series. It feels rewarding. It is ridiculous in all of the right ways. A lot of reviewers out there are calling it the best trash game that they have ever played. And that's accurate. And when I say trash game, I mean, it would feel like this wouldn't have any substance. Like this shouldn't have any substance. This shouldn't be something that is, that is entertaining and as good as it is, but it is one criticism that people have been laying at this game is that it does have some form of microtransactions, but here's the thing. Those microtransactions, they're buying red orbs. Red orbs is the currency you get in the game to upgrade your abilities. You don't have to buy it. Or blue orbs to increase your vitality, or purple orbs to increase your devil trigger. But you get those in-game if you explore. And the game does reward you for exploring. There's tons of things hidden all over the place. I've spent zero dollars besides the initial you know, purchase of the game 
and some cosmetic stuff because they gave you the option to have a Mega Buster. And, well, Nero running around with a Mega Buster arm, I couldn't resist. But you don't need to buy the red orbs. You don't need to buy any of the orbs. You don't need to buy the gold orbs for Resurrections. Just look around the, the levels. And they're clever the way they're hidden, too. In different areas and, and different, like, under stairs and in walls and in places that you would expect to to see sort of like almost like how items were hidden back in the day during Resident Evil games. It's very similar here. You The game uses an old school camera sometimes when you're doing exploring to sort of quickly reveal, you know, the these hidden areas or these special items. And it's fantastic. The enemy variety is there. The boss fights are fantastic. The set pieces are amazing. The cutscenes are incredibly well done. Honestly, this is the first time I have enjoyed a game so thoroughly in such a long time. And honestly, it's almost like Capcom got their head out of their ass. So to sum it all up, if you like hack and slash games, if you like that sort of nostalgic bump from the PS2 era of 2001-ish, 2003, if you like Devil May Cry, this is a game you should look into. Take a take a gander at it. Watch a stream of it and maybe pick it up yourself and play it through. The mission structure makes it easy to pick up and play for a little bit, drop out and come back in. The upgrade system to unlock the abilities is the same as it's always been. So it's familiar, but still rewarding to, to sort of get your everything, all your tools unlocked. And there's a definite sense of progress there when you do so. I personally am probably going to play this game multiple times. And I'm very happy that in 2019, Capcom decided to give us a game that goes back to its roots, much like Mega Man, much like you know God of War did with its series, with its revival. But here with Devil May Cry, to me, it just proves that it's timeless because this game is damn good. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.